Welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, once again, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Simon McCorkendale Institute for the Study of Cryptozoology here on the beautiful Hubel campus. This week, we go on a quest in search of the truth behind Ancient Apocalypse, the new Netflix show that posits that a mysterious, advanced, and ancient civilization was destroyed by an apocalyptic event, and the survivors then spread out across the world to teach the surviving dumb people new skills, like agriculture and the art of piling stones on top of one another, and to watch the skies for returning disasters. So, basically, ancient astronauts, or Atlanteans, by another name, you know, beings with a lot of wisdom. So is any of this new? What about Emanuel Velikovsky and Eric von Donegan, not to mention all the Paleolithic people who actually did do cool things pretty much on their own? Is this a dangerous manifestation of monocausal, conspiratorial, and rather hysterical miseducation and hucksterism? Or is all this just a reflection of the insatiable need for streaming content. And, if the latter, why not give the three of us a show on Netflix, sort of like Top Gear, only with three dashing, if slightly middle-aged and extremely curmudgeonly archaeologists on a quest for truth? Hey, there are worse things on TV. Okay, so let's do this quickly before... <laughs> Before the whole system just collapses completely. Right. All right. So I I had many uh, lightning rounds, but to keep to the to the spirit of whatever it is that we think we might be doing here, I'll go with something fresh and contemporary. Um, favorite Netflix series. <laughs> oh, I right. don't remember what's on Netflix anymore. Yeah. Um. I think The Crown is on Netflix, so I'll go with that, even though I haven't watched the most recent season. What about Dairy Girls? Oh, okay. Changed my answer. Dairy Girls. It's delightful. And and Kimmy Schmidt. Mm. No? Mm-mm. A little bit dark for me. <laughs> well, I suppose. The, the concept. The concept. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Professor? I have no idea. I mean, you know, it's been years. There's a lot of things that have been on Netflix. I don't know. Perhaps the lightning round should have been what Netflix series are you watching now or most recently? <laughs> See, I think that that's a presentist bias. <laughs> oh, good, good. I liked uh, Entrapped, which has a new, uh, a new, a new uh, season on. Are there any Scandinavian noir? <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to think. 
I don't know if the bridge was on Netflix. I don't know. I don't think it was. Well, I guess the point I wanted to to get across <laughs> <laughs> with this with this not incredibly revealing lightning round is is and and we want to make this very clear to our our listener out there who might be um working for Netflix, we don't really know. Um, <laughs> there's only one. But generally speaking, we we like Netflix a lot and we would be we would be very, very happy to do a series for Netflix. Yes, we would. On, on let's say, archaeology. On, let's say, ancient sites that may or, or <laughs> perhaps may not have something to do with um, prehistory and stuff. Can uh, we agree on that? We can agree on that. Yeah. I would, yes. Okay. And way. here's how I imagine it. <laughs> the elevator pitch. <laughs> top. It's a kind of Top Gear. So three of us on a site. We go from site to site, and we just do our shtick. And obviously, as you know, the listener knows, uh, we're <laughs> young, photogenic, <laughs> svelte. <laughs> um. So just keep that in mind. You know you the the listener <laughs> but i guess i guess the reason we've we've all come together today is to talk about another netflix series which, which is all the rage um rage is the right word <laughs> <laughs> oh i gave you that one i think <laughs> that's right Free shot. Whatever you get. um was there an ancient apocalypse I guess it really just, just depends on which side of the of the uh, comet you were standing on. Ooh. Mm. So, ancient apocalypse downloaded or watched or something twenty five million times, hosted by British presenter and writer Graham Hancock. It's all in the news. Everyone's up in arms. You love it. You hate it. Everyone's asking every archaeologist they know what they think of it. That's right. That's how I first found out about it. I didn't know about any of this nonsense until me either. Somebody, uh, somebody asked me. So, right. um, so there are so many different okay, ways. So, to start. so, so hard, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Right. Right. Well. Okay, so I, since I don't know how to start, I will admit something about my Netflix watching at the moment, which is semi-apropos. There's this awful series, fiction series called Manifest, um, which um, I can't even go into the plot because it's so convoluted, but I love watching it. And I'm one episode away from from the end. So no spoilers, please. And um, Well, you, and you make it, a good point. Right? People it, like to watch bad things. People like to watch bad things. Um, I, who consider myself semi-intelligent, think this is awful. However, I'm so hooked in the plot that, you know, I must I must see it to its its end. And um, the plot involves, I really can't, I really can't describe it, yeah, but spoilers. it involves, well, spoilers, yeah, it involves everything from um, kind of the end of the world to um, Noah's Ark to other things over the last many seasons. And it's ridiculous. It is so over-the-top ridiculous, and yet I'm watching it. Which is more ridiculous, that show or Ancient Apocalypse? 
Mm. Well, that show, at least it is fiction and doesn't pretend to be otherwise. And it draws on mythology really, really badly, really, really poorly, which I'm sure most of the viewers don't know how poorly it draws on mythology. But um, it, that's kind of one of its hooks. And um, wait, what was the question? Which is more <laughs> ridiculous, ancient apocalypse or... Right, or manifest. Animal right. or whatever. So, so the problem about. is, so ancient apocalypse doesn't... Um, Wait, did you just say manimal? <laughs> there you go. I was waiting for some reaction. <laughs> you mean manimal with Simon McCorkendale? I meant that exact manimal. Whoa. There you go. Now we oh, have a boy. first. I would have wow. been disappointed if you had not picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about okay. Okay. now. I think we struck right. the right tone. Okay, so so to answer the question, um, Ancient Apocalypse calls itself a documentary or a docudrama. Or, or docudrama. It calls itself a docudrama. Right, which means that its viewers are meant to think that this is a a true that, that this is not fiction, that this is not over the top. Um, <laughs> what I'm watching is obviously over the top. Right, so. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the main problems with this, with with Ancient Apocalypse, that the audience um, who, you know, the audience who are all the people who are asking all us archaeologists, what do you think of this? The audience thinks something of it and <clears throat> thinks it's worthy of being discussed. That's right. Because P.T. <laughs> Barnum is right. Well, there. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, so which of you um, read um, Eric von Donnegan books. <laughs> I did. I got I a whole set. I read pyramid power books. I tried to make pyramids and put razor blades in them to see if they would get sharper. Ooh. I did. I did all of that because that was the rage. But I did that when I was twelve years old in right. a in a media landscape that functioned on like three vectors: radio, TV, and books. Right. Well, mag, you know, magazines that you Magazine, would read okay. yeah. at the at the uh, the okay. Woolworths. Right. Um, right. That that sort of thing. Right. So now so, we have a media environment that that has like all of those elements to the tenth power. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's it's and in the power it, it comes to you in your hand. Right. Um, exactly. Um, and we have a world that's so complicated. That anything that's reductionist or simplification of something is uh, is beloved mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because because it's much easier to believe something ridiculous and simple <clears throat> and conspiratorial than something that's complicated and hard to master and demands real attention and the possibility of actually reading. Do you think? Well, I just want to know where the two of you fall out on the Loch Ness Monster. Because <laughs> I was a huge fan. Yeah, so was I. You know, I never really, I never really cared that much. Maybe that was a boy's kind of a... Maybe, maybe it was. Snowman? Um, yeah. You know, Yeti, Sasquatch. That, well, now that we have Yetis. Yeti. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just in... We keep our coffee really warm. But, but also... There was just conceptually in the late 60s and early 70s, there was this notion of the missing link, right? Yeah. Right. And, and that, you know, would somehow tie together the whole system of, you know, of, of evolution. 
And the missing link then became like a comedic little thing on Saturday morning cartoons and on, you know, right. all sorts of things like that. Popular so, culture taking over um, some sort right. of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's always been, and I think, you know, certainly going back to. Well, hold it. If I could interrupt. Oh, now, interrupt. You wanted, you wanted, you wanted I was to about listen. to go in some weird direction. So. <laughs> no, why don't you explain who Eric Von Donegan is? Because yeah. he, he was a real he was a real media presence. And, and after you do that, I think one of us should explain what Ancient Apocalypse is actually about. <laughs> Swiss, Swiss about hotel keeper Eric Von Donegan, who's still alive. Is he um, real? Yeah, he's you know an older gentleman who who believed that Earth had been visited by ancient aliens and uh, who had built the pyramids or helped build the pyramids and taught people all sorts of uh, skills, <laughs> vocational skills, <laughs> conceptual skills, sort of like a BOCES for, um, and these books, paperbacks. Sold in the millions. By the millions and consumed by all sorts of people, which then um, by the 70s spawned TV TV series like In Search Of, right. which which was hosted by Leonard Nimoy, right. and um, <clears throat> and other other sorts of things. So the the point only being that that these you know Ancient Apocalypse itself, the TV series of Graham Hancock, has deep ish roots and um, in in the contemporary media environment yeah, yeah and um and boy it's really it's really taken off it struck a nerve it, it struck a nerve can somebody please say the word pseudo archaeology in case our listener has not heard that word i um, won't even deign to call this pseudo archaeology i was this, about to say this is utter rubbish and okay. it's it's just it's it's part of the way we like it's part of the way that a lot of people like to think that they're thinking about things. Okay. Because See, I think it's I think it's very interesting because what this what this is, and okay, well maybe maybe somebody should actually say right. the whole thing. Okay. So what, what, what is okay. it about? Should I do it? Will one of you prefer no, to do if it? If I do it all, my head will explode. Right. Okay. So I'll, I'll do it very quickly. And if we had video, that would be very exciting. Well, if we had video, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so basically, um, Graham Hancock, that's his name, right? Graham Hancock? Yeah. yeah. Um, his thesis, such as it is, is... <laughs> Wait, is his, his, his underlying hucksterism... His, his premise is premise. that, um, that uh, there was a time before our current time where we start history, where we start counting history, where we even start talking about prehistory. He said before that there was a civilization um, that came before that was uh, wiped advanced. out. An advanced, thank you, an advanced, advanced civilization that came before that was wiped out by this apocalyptic event. Um, that, which was? Uh, which well what let me just finish and then you say what, what which yeah so and but that some few survivors of this intellectual smart advanced race survived to teach humans once they re-emerged everything they needed to know 
So the difference between this and ancient aliens is he's not saying they're aliens, right? He's saying that it was an original, intelligent, um, advanced civilization that was wiped out and that and that the civilizations that archaeologists know about um, couldn't have done anything if not for these much smarter, earlier peoples. Right. He's talking about Atlantis, mm -hmm. basically. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure if you catch him, you know, after a couple glasses of port, he might well say they're aliens. Right. I, I think that a lot of this started, in fact, with um, with guys like Eric von Donneken. Right. And there were <clears throat> there were actually a, a variety of of others. Um, who was the guy who wrote the late great planet Earth? Yeah. Um. I know that that name is familiar, but I don't. I don't yeah. know. Um, Hal Lindsey. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there is this, <laughs> there is this strange uh, Western literary tradition of apocalyptic, twentieth century apocalyptic literature. Well, hold it. Let's. I mean, well, if there's apocalyptic literature, goes back to the New Testament, if not right. the Hebrew Bible. So it, it there's a long strain of apocalyptic literature that goes back to, you know, Mesopotamia. Yeah. And who'd so, they learn that from? Aha. <laughs> exactly. And that's the exact kind of that's thing. The, that's right, the that's method. Right. right. That's the method. Well, let, the, let me go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You go ahead. I, I was just kind of going to mention the other half of this, which is that in this, is it eight part series? I don't remember. Um, on Netflix. Uh, he frequently um, and strongly <laughs> insults archaeology and archaeologists. Well, I'm all um, for that. But um, calling them no. closed-minded, saying they haven't thought of this, that they don't want to know what really happened. Um, calling them, and I think the quote I've read 15 times over, and I also wrote it down myself when I was listening, is calling them so-called experts, calling them arrogant and patronizing the the arrogant patronizing attitude of academics. <laughs> So and and of course the academic community has rightly um, criticized him for um, a what he's saying, um, which is the, a what he's doing, how he is misusing archaeology, and b um, that the public is now going to think that archaeologists are idiots because he's telling them on Netflix that archaeologists are idiots. So that's the other half of this, right? And but I would extend that, okay? And I don't know. I know this is probably a direction that we shouldn't take, but. This is all part of anti-intellectualism. It just okay. so happens it's archaeologists. But it's this whole thing about how specialists and people who spend their lives studying things and people who know things don't know things. So it's right. it's part of a much broader uh well, so so let me let me let me put it to, to you both this way. Do outsiders to intellectual communities have contributions to make? Yeah, if they yeah. do it with any degree of of actual rigor yeah. and and what would be the what would be the the method what would be the vector <laughs> possibly so, not an incredibly popular uh netflix series that just dumps on well that's right. the thing well, yeah any any and all explanations that i'll only speak for myself because i don't want to that i give um you know it's not tele telegen what is that word Telegenic, telegenic like we are yeah so you know um 
telephonic. The, the way a popular person can get involved is through coming up with ideas and then and evidence um, and evidence and applying them through the kinds of ways that we work. Yeah. And if you want to work outside of that, then you can't expect to get a lot of resounding support because we believe in the peer review system. I was about to say, I was about and that's to all say. it comes down to. It right. comes down to something that Alex, you and I used to make fun of all the time. Some big schlub with too much bandwidth and too much time on their hands in their basement, you know, writing on a blog, whatever they want. In this case, this person got the support of Netflix to, to, to publicize his cockamamie theories. And of course that's, in part because, as we've come to learn, his son is a producer for Netflix. Right. And we know that all of these streaming companies are in desperate need of content. And and so, you know, that's all a pretty simple equation. Yeah. I think that's that's sort of a smoking gun that his son is actually a producer on Netflix. Yeah. And obviously we're not going to know how involved and whose idea and blah, blah. But uh but, you know, that's kind of when when peer review is at its best. This is like the antithesis of peer review because peer review is double blind. So so somebody without a degree can have a great idea and present like it really justice. well. What? Like justice is, is double and, blind. And it can pass. Yeah, <laughs> it can pass peer review and it doesn't matter that they don't have a Ph.D. Um, and somebody with a Ph.D. can write a really crappy paper and it won't pass Peer review. Right. Okay, well, I, I, but I think we need to contextualize and actually say what <laughs> what's going on a little bit more. Okay. And so okay. in this, and I can't stress this enough, beautifully photographed. Yes. Um, eight part Netflix series. Yeah, he if, goes if, around. If any, of, if any of us walked around with a camera crew, and then had post production um, music oh. set to whatever we do. No, 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 no. It would no, look no, no. I, I was watching a show about Jericho last night and, on some other channel, and it was it was shabby by, by comparison. No, no, and there right. were people okay. that we know in it. Okay. And, Fair yeah. enough. They did a nice uh, job, and okay. they did a very good job in post production. Yeah, I mean that's that's my only that's my only and that, praise. And that is something <laughs> that people that that audiences really appreciate because we're yes. all used to great special effects and science fiction special effects. So these are real right. photos, and they're beautiful. So, yeah. so he goes around the world. His thesis Ooh. is that there was an ancient, an advanced, ancient civilization. How advanced is never described. When nope. I hear advanced civilization, I think flying cars, and. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay elon <laughs> and, and uh, you know he never he never describes how advanced they are they right he doesn't um, really say anything about them in the end right no, except that they cares. had wisdom and right. knowledge which right. he has no evidence for okay okay so, all right, um, all right. <laughs> but and then there was an apocalypse the apocalypse was that the <laughs> the world was essentially the world of hunter gatherers who are all sort of sort of unsophisticated bumpkins um, was destroyed by a, a uh, planetary event, which wiped out, which where a comet or some other uh, or asteroid or something broke up in the atmosphere and destroyed sites and set fires and created the younger Dryas cooling 
event, but that the survivors of this advanced civilization um, who don't we don't know anything about and there is no evidence for and who don't seem to be centered anywhere, they they sallied forth to Malta and Indonesia and Mexico and um, and and other places uh, and Turkey with knowledge that allowed civilization to restart itself. Uh, what knowledge is not very clear, but that in all of these places, Mexico, Turkey, the the uh, <clears throat> hunter gatherers were catalyzed into uh, into action and built gigantic monuments, which had uh, and and also <laughs> invented uh, agriculture and stuff like that. Right. And the, the monuments themselves are a testament to, because they couldn't do it themselves. They could never figure out how to pile rocks on top of one another. And But the monuments themselves, especially uh, Gobekli Tepe, have, have messages for the future, a warning about impending right. apocalypses, <clears throat> apocalypsi. That was kind of his conclusion, right? At the yes. end of the last episode. Look to the skies. Look to the yep. skies. And, and it's a warning from these intelligent people from long ago that this can all happen again. Right. Right. And <laughs> I think that this is a very interesting structure. It's a very interesting <laughs> rhetorical structure, narrative. Oh, structure. my God. Oh, my God. You are giving the, too much well, analysis. Yeah, so JP, I think what you need to say is what 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 a lot of academics have been complaining about about you know the fact that and I want to, to let you speak. No, to hold it. I want to hear Alex's. Okay. What, what was it? <laughs> no, something about a rhetorical what? <laughs> it's a rhetorical <laughs> device. What, um, what's the, what what's the sophisticated rhetorical structure here? Well, for one thing, you never what the advanced. Um, what the advanced civilization does did was about who they were, where they why, were. Why don't they even bother to, you know, throw a couple of names in there? Um, yeah. Is it an advanced civilization without any ego? Should we get, should we get psychologists in here? I mean, what kind <laughs> of advanced civilization doesn't have ego? Right. All we know is that they were, we know allegedly is that they were dressed in white um, and they appeared on boats uh things like that so it doesn't doesn't say very much and 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 that agriculture around the world uh appeared all of a sudden at the same time and when and and that all of these all of these uh monumental sites are astronomically oriented and all of these things are sorta kinda almost true but not quite i, I think you're part. putting too light a gloss on it well I, the i think the point is that yes agriculture appears kind of almost sort of in a similar horizon but it's over you know thousands of years right. it's not overnight right right um that ancient monuments whatever they these things are like Gobekli Tepe and Cholula, the Cholula pyramid um have astronomical aspects to them correct maybe okay 
Right, but th- but and that's all right. There's nothing new here about all the well, and that's exactly the point. That's it. There's nothing new. That's exactly the point. There's not there's nothing new except that the time frame has been compressed to this very narrow window. And yeah, I mean, we we ourselves have talked about uh tell Abu Herrera and the evidence for cometary breakups and stuff like that. And the younger Dryas. Okay. Which is still much debated. Right. And very much debated. Very much debated. But okay, there's like there's like a little bit of evidence. So in uh the 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 rhetorical method is to take little bits of evidence, compress them into a single seamless narrative, which has which is then causally related from one place to another place, and to basically not look back at, at the Pleistocene um, and all of the cultures that were running around then. Right. Um, and to posit this invisible, this invisible agent. Right. As the, as the spark. And that's. And, and make an argument from an argument from silence. Yeah. But there's nothing new about that either. That's no. a very old rhetorical device. Right, right. It's just not aliens anymore. It's it's an older earthly civilization. But I think we this is a moment to talk. What I want one of you to do, because you'll do it more elegantly than me, is to talk about the implicit bias that um, this this um, theory uh, exposes. Um, you know, <laughs> why couldn't what weren't the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, able to do this? Do they need somebody to teach them? Etc. So I think that needs to be addressed here. Well, yeah, because there was uh, in 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 the view of this of this presentation, <laughs> all hunter gatherers are kind of stupid, right? And archaeologists really do know that they were quite advanced. These right. I, well, that's what I want to start with. So I Good. want to say two things, and you know, I'm holding back here. I want our one listener to understand that I've been mu- <laughs> that I've been. Mu- <laughs> <laughs> in order to produce a more a more jovial show. That's right. <laughs> so I want to say two things. One is this guy has such a fixation on pyramids and that everything that is non-pyramidal has to conform to pyramids because he grew up reading Eric von Donegan and okay. Pyramid Power. So that's the first thing. Right. And the second thing I don't even remember anymore. Oh, that's the second thing. This guy thinks hunter gatherers are so simple. I want to send him out into some <laughs> kind of, you know, little biosphere where he yeah. has to hunt and gather. Right. Yeah. For right. you know, four weeks, and then and then pick him up and see what condition he is in. This guy is such a chucklehead and so demeaning and so ridiculous. The other thing is, is he talks about archaeologists like we're a big uniform group and we all have group think and we all agree with each other. Clearly, he's never sat at a table with three archaeologists who all disagree with each other, disparage each other, make fun of each other, laugh with each other, all of those kinds of human emotions, right? (laughs) So that's another thing. And this is, again, this has nothing to do with archaeology. This has all to do with anti-intellectualism and simplification and greed. That's it. Right, right. I think that's that's true. Could, could you say the same thing about uh, Emmanuel Velikovsky? Worlds in could. Collision? I think I, I, I think I could maybe 
the greed element is a little bit less. I mean, there is an element to to this of true believers. I don't think he's a true believer, but I think he's smart enough to behave like a true believer because I think true believers um, and the kind of vibe that true believers give off uh, engenders more sympathy among large audiences and audiences will buy into it. But yeah. in, some, in the case of Velikovsky, I, I don't think that there was as much filthy lucre involved. I don't know. You can correct me. Maybe there was, but I, I think he was generally impoverished for his efforts. Yeah. So I don't think those kinds of people were as greedy mm-hmm. as this guy who it, I think there is an element of true believer. He's been at this for a long time and it just so happened that he had the right vehicle at the right time and now, you know, not only does he get his cockamamie theory out, but, you know, he's also going to make a, a tidy sum. Right. Right. I think you're right. Um, and I think and I think, um, you know, so, so some of the some of the sort of rebutting headlines have addressed some of this. Well, not so much the the Luger aspect, but, you know, here's a headline from The Guardian. Ancient Apocalypse is the most dangerous show on Netflix. Right. But that's also The Guardian. Just I mean, they're trying to get readers and clicks. True. Everything is so it's reached a real level of absurdity. The the media landscape, the popular culture landscape, the politicization of everything landscape. That, right. Yes. So the Guardian, what, what what's the title again? Oh, something about the most dangerous show. And I think and it's getting at the sort of um, subtle. I, I didn't want this to get too political, but here I am. Um, the, the subtle uh, racist undertones here, you know, um, the, the people who aren't smart enough um, to but they need a superior civilization right. to to help them put it all together. Right. Um, and this is a very old trope, right? The Great Zimbabwe, the pyramids, the uh the, the statues on Rapa Nui. Over right. and over and over again, this is way too complex for the indigenous population to create it. So there has to be the in the old in the old case, it was always the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were always responsible. And if not the Phoenicians, then you know, visitors from outer space. Right. And, uh, right. And this is just a continuation of that. And right. if he had bothered. So one of the things is, and this was pointed out in several articles. So that, um, I want to just note that. But um, he he presents himself as what, a journalist? So right. he kind of escapes uh, being a pseudo archaeologist or being a, you know, however you want to phrase it. Um but, you know, there's a ton of literature on all the archaeological sites that he discusses, and he completely ignores it. Uh, yeah. and he, he no, I don't think he I don't think he ignores it. I think he mines it very selectively. No, I think he ignores it. So in the one case, Gobekli Tepe, which we all talked about, there are 17 other sites with T-shaped um, right. okay. pillars, and there are huge statuary, and there's all sorts of other stuff, and he ignores that. The site of non-Madal, which I actually mention in my um, uh, early you know, world history class, um, there's a you know that's part of a, a tradition of building in throughout um, throughout Polynesia, mm-hmm. right? And he ignores all the other sites and talks about this as this, he talks about sites as if they're singularities in order to you know 
privilege his 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 cockamamie theory. Right. But none of these sites are singularities. So I right. think he, so he is ignoring it. He ignores all the archaeological data on all the stuff. And right. he doesn't mention and and for instance at Gobekli Tepe, right, there are recent excavations which he completely ignores that in which there's good, there's excellent evidence for domestic occupation of the site and architecture. So right. it's not just, you know, a ritualistic site. I mean, you know, and if we looked at if we wanted to deconstruct every single episode, we would find that he ignores lots and lots of archaeological and environmental data that uh, makes the reading of any particular site much more complicated and much less simplistic. And in that regard, will not adhere to what he's trying to do, which is a grand unifying theory, a gut. And, right. you know, these, the the this that there's also a long history of grand unifying theories in big history to sort of explain the mysteries of the world and the mysteries of the of of human evolution and development and all that yeah. and it just doesn't work that way it's a complicated world and we have a complicated history and to try to understand our place in it is complicated <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'd it's certainly not <laughs> right it's not simple and yeah. and and that's part of a whole socio-political matrix in which we find ourselves embroiled yeah I, I agree um and that leads me to something else I wanted to I have like three points to make but I'll I'll I won't um no, but one, now one thing that he does is he sort of gets onto the edge onto the cusp of you know philosophy of religion but he doesn't know anything about philosophy of religion and he doesn't know anything about theory or, or maybe as a smattering of that, the way he has a smattering of a lot of things, but, but he's really, he's, he's sort of tantalizing by trying to build from scratch without going through, you know, he, why, why, so he's insulting archeologists who clearly don't know anything, but he needs to also insult religious theorists who he's been ignoring. Um, you know, he, he needs to kind of do the other side of it. He needs to, um, if you're going to talk about structures built for religious purposes and the sacred and pyramids being built over sacred spots, you need to go, you need to dig deeper. And again, he doesn't have any evidence. So, so that wasn't even one of my couple of points that I wanted to say. So somebody else talk. No, no, no. I talked a lot. So you say, mm -hmm. you'll, say your points. So, so, okay. So my other, my other points, um, which kind of are at opposing points to each other. Um, one, he's rehashing everything. He's saying, um, he's saying, wow, there are chambers in pyramids. Well, right. yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There are chambers and pyramids? <laughs> right? Ooh. <laughs> exactly. As this if he changes could, everything. Yeah. He, he's right. because he's the first to notice this, right? I mean, right. So, so that's one of the many issues I have with it. And the other, I don't know how you guys are going to respond to this, but um, archaeologists have um, kind of correctly gone off the deep end criticizing him for all the reasons that we are still talking about but the publicity about it if you look up ancient apocalypse you know so netflix is your first hit right but then all the news items are about archaeologists objecting to it so this show has gotten so much more attention than it ever would have if archaeologists could just have been a little bit more quiet about their criticism um, and uh, I mean, I know that's an impossible thing to ask, but I think the whole hoopla would have died down a lot faster. And here we are doing it ourselves. We, we don't use the word hoopla enough on this 
on this podcast. <laughs> let me let me try to remedy that. <laughs> well, I'll get up on my on my high horse, <laughs> um, or, or or you know, uh, don't fall some off. Sort of equid. Um, <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, a lot of this is on the on the the mainstream archaeologists who have really neglect they've they've uh, neglected the the whole public archaeology outreach thing and and if we had video you'd see professor dessel shaking his head <laughs> well, presumably in disagreement uh, <laughs> i don't know maybe yes means no and his... no no this is strong disagreement um, i was nodding my head <laughs> i think that uh that <clears throat> Because once upon a time, once upon a time, and, and here we have to go back to the 1950s, mainstream archaeologists actively engaged uh, news media. Mm -hmm. They were on TV doing shows, exploring. And in the 1960s, we grew up um, <clears throat> watching shows like Discovery with the great Jules Bergman, um, which explored science and other kinds of things in in real terms but after a certain point uh academics in general and archaeologists in particular kind of gave up and no. then they kvetch endlessly. No. well we're some changing us, the model in this some podcast of our close friends are constantly on national geographic and constantly engaging and doing and leading tours all over the world at very all sorts of different price points. We and we we can all participate in that if we want to. And a lot of that is going on. I I think that in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the explanations, the the, the amount of data and the explanations of that data were simpler, more digestible, and archaeologists can could sign off on doing that kind of stuff. Now it's all very complicated. The three of us could never be on TV because, <laughs> because they'd, they'd film us for about 10 minutes and they'd see us disagreeing and being complicated and not having a focus and not having a single message and everything else. And that's why I think the Top Gear model. Well, that might be, but... Of disagreeable people disagreeing. Right. Besides, we're, all... we're, we're hilarious. But we live in a very specialized society in which there's a tremendous amount of data and complicated, you know, interpretations. And that's what we're trained to do. And that's the honest, that's the honest way of dealing with the data. And if you, you we, look, we also know people who simplify. We're in the world of biblical archaeology. We listen, we go to sites and we hear uh, tour guides and some of our colleagues giving very, very simplistic nonsensical interpretations of sites and you can go on tv and or whatever streaming and see that same thing kind of happening so we know that it continues to go on well, so it's just a certain group of people who aren't going who are going to recognize the complexity so why why doesn't um why doesn't contemporary society embrace complexity Oh my God! No, that's no, no, that, that's, that's my that's my question. Our, our, because because life is so complex that when you go on to into the world of popular culture, you want to be mollified. You want who's to be you? We, we we embrace the three of us embrace complexity out the wazoo. Are you saying that that there's a, a demographic that of of people who embrace non complexity and hence <laughs> stupidity? 
Well, um, you know how I feel about that because we discussed it before we went online. But I mean, we we're, on we're Netflix. What do we want? Anti stupidity in general, but <laughs> we watch Kerry Girls. Yeah, that's simple, straightforward, felicitous, not complex at all. Silly. Yeah, it's more than that. Actually, it has a political message about you know about, about the reconciliation about. between communities, and it's and it's um expertly done and timed at, at a and it's produced at a very high professional level just like this podcast <laughs> yeah but the well the the fact that it has anything to do with reconciliation is only because it's literally the one place on planet earth that in the 20th and early 21st century figured out how to reconcile themselves and it succeeded right, right. but that's that's a pretty rare situation i but think look- we could all admit to that this is look, this is why though, you know, so we're we're the great popularizers, right? So what we do is we take <laughs> well, that's how I think of us. Um, wow. we, we take, you know, very complex scientific arguments, latest radiocarbon results, et cetera, and we say, why does this matter? And a lot of the academics don't bother with the why does this matter aspect of things. And um, I mean, and this is what I tell my students when they're writing their senior theses. Um, you know, uh what's what's the point? So what? What's the so what of what you're writing? And I think we try to, when we popularize it, we try to get the so what out there. Um, And um, I think there's, you know, so there's the glossy documentaries that some of our colleagues do get asked to participate in, um, but they're usually about topics that aren't glamorous to begin with. Like, you know, is the Bible true? We embrace the unglamorous topics. There you go. There you go. Is Troy true? So we're looking at everything else. Um, and, you know, I think there is a place for that. And Netflix just hasn't discovered us yet. Um, yeah. or well, I'm pretty like sure that, that if, if I'm pretty sure that you need a family member to be a, a senior producer before oh, sure. you get discovered. I'm sure. And, um, and you know. we challenge Netflix to to def- to defy that. We... Right. Embrace complexity, Netflix, uh, complexity and hilarity. Together, like <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> Very good. You guys are really overestimating our reach. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> we have that one listener who... Maybe who, our single who, listener. Who maybe has Netflix or something. I don't know. They could, <laughs> they could write in. But, um, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so to, to bring it back down from the sublime to the ridiculous and then back to the sublime. Yes. Um, One of the things about this show, Ancient Apocalypse, is another classic trope, a classic fixation, and that's on floods. Thank God for the concept of ancient floods, because without it, these people would have nothing to say. So we have the Younger Dryas, we have this, you know, cosmic interference, and then, then, you know, we have floods and all of these floods, you know, dissolves the world of, of an advanced civilization and as Alex said, there are these little filaments, these special people. These I'm surprised you didn't bring in, you know, Buddhism and bodhisattvas and you know all sorts of other things that could have been. He doesn't brought have in. a broad enough well, those reach because those are aliens. <laughs> so you know, thank right. God for floods. Well, yeah, um, it's very convenient <laughs> and very important. And very important. And and we're against floods. <laughs> well, we're against flooding. <laughs> Again, we're against we're against flooding, but it has to be said that lots of global um, cultures have these flood these flood fixations. Yeah, the, right. But, but all of which come from different 
all all which emerge at different times and for different reasons and for different reasons and for different reasons and that's and that's the the homogenizing uh, tendency of this particular series where everything has to be frappéed and put into a kind of pseudo scientific blender into into a simple syrup <laughs> boiled into the simple syrup yeah and where the archaeologists are are cast as the villains yeah. and 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 you know me i'm i'm always willing to but uh, <laughs> but um it's it's the uh, it's the simplicity of it uh, but that that but again I, I that takes little bits of truths Mm-hmm. Beckley Tepe is a, a really important, fascinating site. One of many, the part that doesn't get mentioned. There right. are floods that are encoded into all sorts of cultural memories, um, but they happen to take place at different times. That's the part that isn't mentioned. Right. right. And I wonder if this guy, what, what, what was his name? Now I can't even, oh, Cyrus Gordon. This, oh, this guy. guy should really read Cyrus Gordon because there's a lot of Cyrus Gordon and all that. All yeah. of these, you know, great, great tr- traditions, great, quote, civilizations all tied into each other, right. all communicating with each other from the Western Hemisphere to the rest to the old world and back and forth. So um, and, that, and that's a good that's a good point. Here's Cyrus Gordon, <laughs> the late Cyrus Gordon, very important scholar very real scholar Mm -hmm. who had some very very heterodox views about the communication about communications between the the old world and the new world right and so uh, you know uh, here's a guy who's an insider who uh who throws a couple pitches way outside what do we make of that right as opposed to the outsider who's just like right well in the case okay so in the case of cyrus gordon everybody uh, well, I went to Brandeis University where he taught. And oh, um, when I got to Brandeis, there were still people who sort of remembered him and he was remembered without without any fondness. And everyone was glad that he had left and got, I think he went to NYU. NYU, uh, yeah. I'm sorry? NYU, yeah. Yeah, NYU. And, and, you know, in those years, he was known mainly for these, you know, ridiculous ideas about the Olmec and Mesopotamia. But in subsequent years, if you've gone to ASOR meetings in the last 15 or 20 years, he's remembered very fondly for his for his excellent scholarship. Uh, and no one talks about all of his, to, to use your term, heterodox ideas. Right. My term would be, you know, redonkulous ideas. No one <laughs> talks about that anymore. Those are all forgotten. Right. Um, and that's both good and bad because... Yeah, he was a very good scholar for many, many, many years, but then he went off the deep end, and that's also part of his scholarly, you know, uh, legacy. Right. So right. I, I and I um, went to school, and I took many courses—not many, a bunch of courses—with Martin Bernal. Hmm. Ah. And um, who was a very nice man, who was a very smart man, and I wrote at one point an appreciation of him after he after he died. And tried to critique, and I someplace actually many years ago, I, I reviewed one of his Black Athena books, mm-hmm. which are, <clears throat> long story short, um, kind of out there, which bring together lots and lots of data in a very odd, systematic way that's not systematic. 
um, that have been easily politicized. Well, and that that also has this deep political side to it. And on the other hand, um, some of his some of the ideas that he drew on as inspiration for his work, um, and none of which was especially original. Um, nobody, I mean, when we were in school 50 years ago or whatever, um, people still argued that um, the, there was a Dorian invasion of Greece yeah. and that the Greeks were this, you know, totally sealed off civilization. And now everybody says, yeah, <laughs> they're Mediterraneans, they're people going every which way. They were deeply influenced by by uh, the Western Asian and by by the Egyptians and myths and and the legends and stories and names and this and that. So yeah, the the center has everything is moved. Yeah. What was outside 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago has very much moved towards the center. Some of it, not all of it, but some of it. Can we clarify that we weren't students 50 years ago? It was a little bit more <laughs> than that. <laughs> Well, you, you were, you were, uh, let's go with 30, 30 years ago, 30, 30, 35. I'm 40, 30, 40 years, 40, even a little 45. Old. All right. <laughs> can I hear 45? <laughs> All right. All right. Let's can, can we final land thoughts? Can we land this flightless bird? Yeah. <laughs> As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> <laughs> Asian um, apocalypse for it or against it? <laughs> well, uh, my final gonna... thought will be: it won't really matter because once the apocalypse in the future comes, all this will be forgotten, and will be the advanced civilization that will look back on this podcast and say, "Look at all that ancient knowledge and the warnings that they tried to bring." <laughs> all right, Professor Dessel. No, that, I'm. I think you've both spoken eloquently. Right. <laughs> Look yeah. to the skies. <laughs> That's my warning. <laughs> so okay. long. Thanks for all the fish. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to go outside and look to the skies for warnings of impending doom. In the meantime, though, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Dumont Television Network. Be sure to catch another thrilling adventure of Captain Video and his Video Rangers, Monday through Fridays at 7. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment. Send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134. Thank you.